This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot that has me scratching my head these days. Uh, Jesse Smollett walks on 16 felony counts of filing false police reports. I can't sort that one out. There's a lot of stuff perplexing us these days. Another one such is how the government's rollout of the cannabis shops could have been uh, such a boondoggle to begin with. I mean, there are still regulatory hoops and hurdles that some of these people who won the lottery, the 25 stores, that were supposedly uh, going to be up and running by Monday, April 1. And by the way, uh, they'll start to be fined 12500 if they're not ready. And my spies tell me about uh, 12 of the 25 may not be good to go. And then if they're not ready by the 15th of the month, there's another 12500 drawn down off that line of credit they had to post, 50 k so uh, it's rather interesting that uh, the rollout will not be as robust as might have been anticipated because the people who did win that lottery were really clicking their heels like uh, they were going to be into, uh, you know, the salad days. What is going on? Let's find out. Brad Poulos is with us on the line. He's at the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University as an instructor and cannabis expert. Brad, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Afternoon, John. How'd you become a cannabis expert? Well, about three years ago, I started studying it. Nobody else at uh, Ryerson in the business school was, so um, I decided to kind of take it on as a little bit of a side project. Um, and then about six months ago, we launched our first course called The Business of Cannabis. So you're kind of surfing the wave, the popularity then? Sure, and we're actually building a nice suite of courses here, so it's not really so much as surfing the wave of popularity as really trying to make sure that we help get the labor market ready for what the cannabis market needs. Well, and that's part of the problem. Uh, apparently, uh, it's not ready, and maybe through no fault of their own, I'm told supply was the in, uh, original issue here, uh, that these 25 license holders uh, may not be good to go because the supply isn't there. What do you hear? What do you know? So, yeah, I think you're you're mixing your metaphors there, John. So the, uh, the, the spoken reason for limiting the initial rollout to 25 stores was the current shortage in the legal market of uh, of cannabis? Right. Um, however, uh, you know, once the twenty five, once the twenty five number was struck, uh, the government also made a second decision, which is this sort of inexplicable decision to have a lottery, and that's that's really been the source of a lot of the problems. But anyway, we are where we are. I think you're right. We're going to probably have about twelve, at maybe at the most, fifteen stores open next week. There are actually only 10 licensed as of this second. So if nothing changed, then those would be the only 10 that can open. Well, now, uh, there's another uh, angle to this that uh, maybe you can clarify. If regulatory hurdles are such that they couldn't get ready in time because their their applications were being processed, whose fault is that? Hmm, Well, I'm far be it for me, John, to to, uh, defend the government here. But they have issued 10 licenses out of the 25. So that, the, the, that's positive evidence that there are 10 companies that manage to get all of their procedures done, their build-out done, uh, agreements with the, all of the uh, various supply companies, and essentially get ready so that the government was comfortable giving them a license. Several of the others, their notice periods just ended in the last few days. There's actually two whose notice period, the statutory notice period that you have to wait out while the public has an opportunity to comment on your application, there's two of them that it's actually ending after Monday. So those don't have a chance of opening in time, obviously. Now, is that the government's fault or is that the fault of the individuals that, um, that we're applying? And, you know, 
I, I, I think I could argue that pretty strongly that if they hadn't done this lottery, we wouldn't be in this situation. We'd have much more capable companies playing in this game, companies that already have supply agreements, companies that have procedures, they know how to train employees, they have store layouts already planned. Instead, you know, on January 11th, we had uh, literally 21 individuals, only four of the winners were corporations. So 21 individuals had 79 days and no plan to open a store. Well, the converse of that, though, is if you uh, would have given it to the people who were already, uh, let's say, uh, up and running or they, they had some momentum, it would have shown favoritism. And uh, I guess the government wanted to avoid that perception. Okay, that, I'll, I'll give you that. Then you could take a, a page out of the telecom book. Uh, I actually come you know, way back out of the telecom industry. And if you take things like new licensed services or new bands of cellular spectrum that become available, it used to be that the government would actually make people apply and they would choose on the basis of the application. You know, they had the courage to do the analysis and make a decision as opposed to leaving things up to chance, a lottery, which is possibly the worst way to do this. Now, nowadays, what the telecom industry does is an auction. So rather than enriching 25 individuals needlessly through this lottery, why don't we enrich the government coffers by auctioning off some retail licenses? All right. Uh, again, then, big corporations would be the winners there. Look, uh, oh, oh, Sorry, one more thing. What the government often does is a carve-out for smaller companies. I meant to mention this. Smaller companies so that there can be competition. And I would absolutely encourage that. I don't want to see this taken over by a bunch of big companies. But I do want to see it run properly. But see, the government's original intent was no cap on the number of retail pot shops. And uh, so they, I guess, had all of the best of intentions. It was then the supply side of things that deterred them from going that route. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, an alternative would have been to let the companies open, knowing that there's something of a supply shortage. Um, there are many companies out in, in Alberta and BC and Saskatchewan that are, and Manitoba, frankly, that are operating under the same circumstances, building relationships with with customers, establishing a beachhead on a certain corner, and all of that. Um, and they have lots of other products that they can sell that are related to cannabis. So I, I still would have been a fan of letting the market work as opposed to setting um, an artificial cap of 25. And then the worst part is this, you know, just choosing 25 individuals who who get in unjustly enriched, and most of whom have nothing to do with the running of their store. Will they Will they be unjustly enriched if, uh, let's say, supply comes up to speed and then uh, enough to meet demand so that all these people who've already taken out leases actually in anticipation of getting a store, a dispensary, will be running, who knows, sometime in the summer? Uh, will they have that much of a toehold and a head start? Well, it's really going to depend, I think, on a few things. One is when the government opens up the next tranche of licenses and makes, you know, another 25 or hopefully no cap available. And the other thing would depend on their negotiating ability right after they got their their lottery win uh, and the deal that they've made with the large partner that they, they're working with. Because in most cases, these individuals are working with one of the larger partners from out west. So, okay, why is supply not adequate? I guess that's the question. Uh, who dropped the ball there? In the legal market? Yep. It, it will be, it will, I think it's going to catch up, and actually the pendulum is going to go the other way within the next six to eight months. But it really comes down to um, a couple of things, I think. One is there's actually a backlog in testing. So every batch of cannabis has to be tested, and there's a 
there's a, not enough labs in Canada. Um, then this, the second thing is, uh, do they have the right product? So while they may have finished goods inventory, they may not have the things that are in demand. And then the last thing is just the development of an industry. We're building the first legal cannabis framework of this size anywhere in the world. It takes time. All right, but you were saying within the next six to eight months, so supply you anticipate then will exceed demand? Yes, absolutely. Will that drop prices? Yes, I, I hope, hopefully, because that will actually help the government to achieve their goal, which is to um, eliminate the black market and you know make it more difficult for, for young people to get access. So if they can make the legal market more competitive, and price is obviously a big piece of that, as is... Um, the product formulation and access, you know, where are the locations, then, then they have a chance. But with the current, the current regime, I mean, there's, there's only going to be two stores north of Highway 7 in this first 25. Yep. So there are a good number of, of, sorry, of Ontarians who will just be continuing to access the cannabis the way they always have. Right. Well, except let me just Ontario. let me just preempt where you're going with this. I know. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, then if you know the, the model works that, you know, more and more dispensaries come online, because I have a survey in my hand that says Canadians prefer to buy from a bricks and mortar operation where the people service them, maybe yeah. know about the product rather than online where they can be tracked and traced. So uh, the retail uh, industry looks to be a bricks and mortar operation rather than, you know, the opposite that we become accustomed to deliveries to your door. Eighty uh, percent of Quebec's cannabis revenue comes from bricks and mortar retail stores in the Maritimes it's like 94 95 percent so I guess Ontario can anticipate that the bricks and mortar operation uh, will be the more viable one but we'll have to wait and see when the supply comes up to speed as you say in six to eight months Brad I gotta let you go on that note I appreciate the information though and we'll stay in touch anytime thanks sir you got it Brad Poulos again is at Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management an instructor and a cannabis expert Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.